0: This is Joshua Hatton with the One Nation Under Whiskey podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, my business partner, uh, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. How are you, Jason?
1: I'm well, thank you, Joshua. Welcome to December.
0: Uh, Yes, welcome to December. (laughs) Had to look at my watch for a second there.
1: December 1 is upon us. Yeah. 2021 has disappeared in the blinking of an eye and we're staring 2022 in the face. How How is this possible? It's not. None of it is. <laughs> I saw- none of it is. It's funny, I, I, my, my youngest yeah. wants nothing else but to be 12. No, nothing else. Because at 12 he's allowed to go to the pool by himself that's that is on his radar Mm. and i keep saying to him don't wish your life away don't wish your life away enjoy being a living enjoy Mm. the Mm -hmm. shortcomings of being a living and i and i remember absolutely desperately wishing to be older Mm -hmm. And time passed so slowly. So slowly. So incredibly slowly. And now as a a grown-ass man, it just flies by. It's frightening how quickly the time passes, which, to make a whiskey connection, is why whiskey speaks so loudly to me. Is it's in its own way a metronome mm. it's a guide for the passing of the years and when we get a bottle oh 2006 what was i doing in 2006 mm-hmm. what was the mm-hmm. month oh okay it was a summer month where did i go that year who did i hang out with that summer like it it's a it's a series I of like signposts that. to the past yeah oh that's interesting uh, i i
0: like that i only look for 1973, right? Sometimes 1974 if I'm fe- feeling charitable.
2: Right.
0: Um, but but I hadn't even thought <laughs> oh, thank of Thank you. It. I appreciate you being charitable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got the reference. I don't know if anyone else got the reference. I but, got it. But yeah, that, that that's interesting. You know, I, just before we started recording, you had talked about, you know, looking at single casks and approaching them not necessarily from the perspective of i've heard good things about the single cask but from the perspective of oh this one the cask was filled near my son's birthday or or on the month or even Mm -hmm. on the day Mm -hmm. and uh, or this one was bottled on on you know so and so's birthday and i just i never thought about whiskey in that way now i of course i used I use them as signposts. I'll look at bottles and say, where was I when I got that? But I don't often go beyond the 1973, 1974 um, signpost, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you one that really gets my attention. It's getting a little more expensive now. But fall of 1996 always gets my attention. Mm-hmm because it it now marks my very real foray into this industry into this hobby into this passion into this subject that was that was my single malt birth at the University of Aberdeen uh, and so okay. seeing August September October November December 1996 I'm just It just really captivates me that just as I was starting to ask the questions about about this whole fucking thing, right? Mm -hmm. What is whiskey? That those casks were being laid down. Yeah. They were being mashed. They were being fermented. They were being run through stills. They were being put into cask. It's really remarkable looking back and thinking about that. And as for this year those were coming out as 25-year-old bottles. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Which is what I mean by <laughs> it's getting more expensive to, to have that. You know, you know so. it's something to think about. Uh, in
0: 1996, if we were standing in 1996 right now and we had said, where was I 25 years ago, that would have been 1971,
1: yeah, neither one of us would have been born.
0: Neither one of us been born. Listen, I I have a question for you. Uh, I want to keep it on whiskey. And speaking, <laughs> not like us. <laughs> speaking of special dates, my wife and I went out to the casino for our anniversary. Right. Oh, big spender. Yep a uh, Big loser. We, we we All we did was lose money. We had fun, but we lost money. Is there a Demi Moore-style
1: scene in any of this? Like a G.I. Jane one? I was thinking more of Robert Redford proposal. Oh, that one.
0: No, none of that happened.
1: I don't know if you'd be the Woody Harrelson role or the Demi Moore role. I tell you.
0: Give me a million and I'm fine. So... <laughs> Everyone's got their price, so <laughs> so we're oh, wait a second, wait a second. no that this was not our anniversary. we had come back. that's what it was. We'd come back because Haida had purchased us tickets to see Chelsea Handler, and, and so we get to the casino and we've we've got a little bit of time for for some food and for some drinks, and so we went to this restaurant in there that serves great pizza and they have video games. Now there wasn't a table okay. ready for us, so we had to have some drinks. I love the
1: fact that this started out with I've got a question for you. Let me set the scene. So continue. Yeah.
0: So the table wasn't ready for us, so we decided to get some drinks and play some video games. We ended up playing some pinball, some some Star Wars pinball. And Haida had got in just a glass of wine and I look on their shelf and normally I don't buy whiskey. If I'm, if I'm out at a restaurant or at a bar, I simply don't buy whiskey. I'm there for a beer. I'm there for a cocktail. You know, I, I, may, I may do wine, but, but I'm definitely not going to, to do
1: whiskey. You mean if you're out with your wife? Because you and I have been in plenty of bars who have bought plenty of whiskey. You're meaning when you go out with your wife for a nice date night.
0: Yes, so so I want to
1: be clear I'm like, here. We were just at a restaurant that had
0: maybe ten bottles of whiskey. Makes sense. Three of them were bourbon, you know, and and you know American bourbon. Uh, American bourbon. American bourbon. American bourbon. Continue. And and then the rest. <laughs> Get away from uh, me. The rest were Scotch whiskey, and I think and I think there may have been Jameson up there as well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And and so yeah, so when I'm not out with you, if I'm just at a restaurant, if I'm just at a bar, I'm not I'm not ordering whiskey, I'm ordering anything but our whiskey. date night looks very different. Our date night is very different. But a bottle of LaFroy
1: 10 captured my eye I was gonna ask if there was I was gonna ask you if there was Laphroaig 10 on the shelf it, it's always on the shelf like and, 10 is always there and, and so
0: I said you know what I'm I'm gonna get LeFroig 10 so I got the Lefroig 10 I got it neat of course and and so we're playing some video games and I'm sipping on it I'm
1: just enjoying did it come in a tumbler or did you request a wine glass? So were you playing it low key and you just accepted what you were given? I was playing it
0: very low key. I was just, you know, you get what you get, and you don't get upset. And the, the, the fact that that I was offered the liquid without ice, right? Mm. I, I was happy. So, so I just got it in a tumbler, and so we're playing our video games. I'm sipping on it, just 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 enjoying the drink, you know and and hopefully the company and if we, oh that's right the company and uh, of course and uh and and I look at our our you know the the wait staff and and she says you know your table's ready so we sit down and I just kind of paused and thought about it and I said to Haida I said you know I'm really surprised that I got a whiskey I just I just don't normally buy whiskey at a random restaurant when they have just a handful of bottles. But this LaFroy 10 captured my attention. And she'd said, Have you talked to Jason about this like on the podcast? And I'd said, Well, no. And I and I did explain, you know, that you and I have 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 a different bar experience, but that's mostly because we're going to bars that are specifically whiskey bars, right? They're not mm-hmm. just your run-of-the-mill mm-hmm. restaurant. Yeah. And and it got me to thinking, what does Jason go for when he's at a run-of-the-mill restaurant? And so what do you go for and why? And, and it is, is it whiskey? Do you yeah. rarely buy whiskey like I do, or do you go for the cocktails? Do you go for the beer? What do you do?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely not going to a restaurant thinking I'm drinking an entry-level pour For a price that I don't need to pay for it mm. I've got an open bottle at home this is, this is my same philosophy As if I go out for dinner, I never order pasta Because pasta is something you can rustle up in your own home And do a good job of mm-hmm. You don't need to pay for it Now Obviously, if you go out to a very nice restaurant that's making their own pasta, that's a very different experience. But I'm not going to go to a normal restaurant and pay for them to put a box of pasta in hot water for me. But but they're serving
0: Ranzoni, Jason. They're serving Ranzoni.
1: (laughs) That's a reference that's going to travel well. (laughs) Australians are loving this. (laughs) (laughs) And so... And, and so it's the same for me, right? And and it is it is that LaFroig 10, mm. kind of. I've, I've, I'm looking at it right here on a shelf right beside me. I, I could pour that right now, thoroughly enjoy it, not think too deeply about it. However, I have had experiences, and funnily enough, in Scotland where I've been out with my brother mm. and we've been bar hopping or we've been getting dinner or we've just been hanging with other friends and I haven't wanted to drink 20-ounce pints. Yeah. I've yep. just wanted a cheeky wee whiskey to to give me something to sip on while we're engaged in conversation. And I always, always order Laphroaig 10 in that scenario. Okay, so you're in a bar, and
0: you've got Laphroaig 10 there. You've got Ardbeg 10. You've got Kilhoman and Mac or Bay. Uh,
1: yeah, I'd probably buy the Kilholman, give yeah. them a little bit of support out in the wild. Okay. For me at that point, it's not that I've got a top one, two, three in mind mm. on how I would rank those three. For me, it's I like all three of those. I would happily drink yeah. any of those three. And if I can get to, say, Kilholman and have the weight staff or the bar staff dealing with that bottle of Kilholman, then I feel like I've done something for the the smaller... You know, independently on distiller. So it's not even really about the whiskey at that point. It's not really about the price at that point. Which I am curious about. What did you pay for your Lefroy 10? That was a $14 pour.
0: <gasps> at a casino? That's not that's not terrible at a casino.
1: Holy moly. Was that an ounce? Was it two ounces? It, it, was it half a bottle? It was, uh, as the kids
0: say, two fingers.
1: <laughs> um, horizontal or vertical? <laughs>
0: Those are. <laughs> or split. <laughs> <laughs> had two tiers. The glass had two tiers. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was. It was the horizontal, it was two two fingers worth of width Like it was a oh, right. decent In a tumbler order. In a that's tumbler, a decent, yeah. right? I, I would say it was, it may have been two ounces worth
1: Yeah Right? Yeah, 14, that yeah, seems seems fine yeah. if that's your quantity I, I've still got, you know, Scottish measures in, in mind Where it's what, a 25 mil, unless you get to go to some places that are still 35 yeah. mil But yeah. gosh, 25 mil barely wets the bottom of the glass but you can't argue with the price. Can't argue with the price. <laughs> Cheapest chips. Cheapest chips. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So there you go. So you did what I would have. You would have done what I did, which was you saw the Lafleurie Ten. Yeah. yeah, I'll go for that. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to me though that as much as Lafroy Ten is billed as the love it or hate it whiskey, it's inter- interesting how many bars count it among their bottles. Even when they only have eight or ten or twelve bottles, to, to my mind, it's almost it's almost to peated scotch what Jameson is to Irish. If someone comes in and says, "You got a peated whiskey?" You say, "Yep, we got Lefroy 10. Boom, they order it. They don't they don't walk away at that point. You got an Irish? Yeah, it's Jameson. Yep, I'll take some. Cheers. They don't walk away at that point. And yeah. so it's uh it's a catch all. I think it's harder to find Lagavulin 16 on a back bar. You know, I, you know, I'm not even sure how often I would have seen Calhoman Bay, or even Sineg on a limited back bar. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could really get in the weeds and just see, well, <laughs> you know, how much how many POs does this casino want? to issue to the distributor that right. has right. such and yeah. such bottling, right? It, just, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. just may be that they do more business with distributor A who has Beam products than they do with distributor B that has Diageo products.
1: Exactly. And to do, to Joshua, Joshua always does, to, to me, peel, purchase, order, that's the request that goes out to the distributor to bring the bottles to your establishment. Yes, I was
0: not talking about a post office. I was talking about a purchase order <laughs> or a PU. <laughs> That's a PU. To, P- to get PO'd would be to be pissed off or DQ'd. DQ.
1: How does to be disqualified?
0: <gasps> ah, DQ'd. I thought that was some sort of like a like a Cleveland Steamer or something.
1: It's always the Cleveland Steamer with you. (laughs) So the reason I brought up December 1 all those hours ago is because you and I have three podcasts to put out this month to Mm. close out the calendar year. It doesn't close out the season. That happens Mm mid-Feb with the mailbag episode. But we have got our final American single malt chat of the year. This episode, we have our final world single malt chat mid December, mm-hmm. and then we will do our traditional year in review episode, which will drop December 20. Quickly tries to do three weeks of drops because it's the first, and then it's the 15th, and it's the 29th. December 29, December, December you and I. 29th? Uh, We'll close out the calendar year with a year in review. And, and like I said in the last episode or a couple of episodes ago, I am thinking about my category fillers there for, uh, for what we discuss in the year in review episode. So with that said, today yep. we're, we're doing one of those little fun things that we do which is you go off on a little adventure and you take the recording equipment with you and and you report back. And I believe I'm right in saying this is the very first time Elijah has accompanied you on one of these little excursions. And you were both involved in the interview today. That is 100% correct.
0: So me, Elijah, and our good friend Johnny... Uh, a.k.a. Whiskey and Donuts, a.k.a. Good. just a, a wonderful guy all around. Went to Portland to visit with the folks at Westward and, and basically spent two days with uh, Miles Monroe, who we're speaking with today. And Miles' role is? So Miles is the head distiller and head blender for, for Westward.
1: Fantastic. Yep. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, he's he's also the 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 chief executive, lovely guy, the 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 C E L G. Yep.
1: A vital position, vital.
0: Yep. yep. Oh my gosh, we had an absolute blast. He he and I were definitely uh, two peas in the pod, right? He came from music and being in bands and similar <laughs> bands, and he talks about it a little bit. In the podcast as well, you know, where he talks about being in bands, and, and he and I just have very similar tastes, and, and as soon as I met him, I, I knew that we were going to hit it off, and and we did. And, and what was nice about being with him in their barrel house, like you had said, is we had Elijah with us, and he joined the conversation, begrudgingly, I told him he had to be a part of it, <laughs> yep. uh, but... But he had some great questions that, that I think really helped help the conversation. It helped me to, to better understand Westward and what they're doing and hopefully helped the listeners as well.
1: Well, I'm ready to jump into it. I'm ready to hear Elijah asking questions on wax for the first time. Let's go over to both of you. Let's do it.
0: Okay. So we're sitting here with you, Mr. Miles Monroe. This is the beautiful thing about a podcast. I'm the editor, so I can fuck up all I want.
2: i was <laughs> just like, ooh. <laughs> um, world.
0: So we're sitting here with uh, Mr. Miles Monroe uh, at Westward's warehouse, lovingly called Jenny.
3: We're sitting in the, house sitting right in here, the Barrel House right here, Among the Barrels.
0: Literally, which is a really nice place to be. And we've how many samples have we
3: gone through so far? We're at nine now. We just went through nine single barrel samples. Yeah, cast strength. You guys mm-hmm. are champions. Champions. Really just hanging. Tough. <laughs> Professionals.
0: <laughs> and uh, and so just just to frame it for the listeners here. So we're sitting around a barrel, uh, and Elijah actually runs an Instagram live series called Banter About the Barrel. Correct. So this is so this is perfect. So we have. We have some samples um here in front of us. We have the one barrel that seems to have really talked to us the most four twenty three yes and uh and then we also have a, a beer here. We don't have to talk about that but for for our listeners out there you know four twenty three it was a number two char, which that's just what Westward does so i what I'm trying to get to is I feel as if we're tasting some of the best of what Westward does. So can you talk about how you get there? Like, let's, let's hear about your, your process. We went through the distillery Yeah. and you know, for our listeners out there who may be more Scotch whiskey focused or traditional single malt production focused, you're, you're not traditional.
3: We're not, we're not. I mean, if I could, really simplify it I'd say you know we're inspired by beer uh, and we're making it similar to a scotch Mm. we're also aging it like a bourbon and so I mean yeah our our vision is is pretty simple you know our our approach is we want the raw materials to really come through well And to feature that in the whiskey. And Mm. so, our methods, uh, we are ex brewers making whiskey. So, you know, our methods are more rooted in brewing and the brewing culture in Portland Mm -hmm. and the craft brewing culture in the States. You know, we're making an American single malt. So, you have to think, you know, as you pioneer that category, what does that mean? What do we have to offer to the world of whiskey? Yeah. Obviously, there's amazing single malts made all over the world. Uh, so, you know, what is it that we can add to, mm-hmm. you know, the world of single malt? And, yeah, I mean, again, our, our culture here in Portland is heavily rooted in brewing. We're all ex-brewers, our founder, myself, all of my distillers. So, yeah, we're relying on a lot of that knowledge and the techniques of brewing to make our whiskey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and everywhere from the beginning of, like, the malt is base malt. It's called Brewer's Base Malt. It's just pale ale malt that yeah. we're using, you know? Okay. Um, it's a high-color malt, so it's, it's kilned a little longer. Uh, so it's got a little more of those mired reactions, a lot more flavor in the grain, uh, and then we're using a uh, uh, excuse me, we're using a brewer's yeast. We're using pale ale yeast. It's actually mm-hmm. what brewers call the Chico yeast. It's the Sierra Nevada pale ale yeast strain. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, right away we're just taking a hard left and going somewhere else with it. Yeah. That isn't to say we don't have reverence for whiskey and for you know tradition that's come before us. Mm-hmm. We definitely do. Um, we just think there's a lot more room for so much more flavor to be expressed in whiskey.
0: Yeah. I I feel
3: as if this, this approach to
0: single malt production, American single malt, right, is taking a very different approach than Scotland and Ireland where, you know, when they make single malt and so on, where the focus is always on the cask. How old is it? You know, what kind of cask was that whiskey in? and you guys are really you're
3: really front loading a lot. That's the word. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah dude. Yes. And yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean all um, the, yeah, the the majority of the work and the, the care that we put into this whiskey is up front. So I love front loading. That's a great term yeah. for it. Yeah. Um TM. yeah. Oh, it's all yours. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's it. You know, that's where the most of our focus is, you know, cuz we're talking about flavor development and where you Get flavor from, mm-hmm. and we are much less cask focused. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely the grain, um, the yeast as well. I mean, it's a long fermentation. It's 96 to 120 hours. Wow. Low temp, you know, yeah. 73, 74 degrees. Really just a cool, long fermentation, you know, especially for a whiskey, especially for an American whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in, you know, closed stainless steel tanks, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's very much a brewer's fermentation. So, uh,
0: what, what does that cold fermentation do? Like, why, why are you looking for a colder fermentation as opposed to a warmer fermentation? Is is yeah. it is, does it develop flavors? Does it allow the yeast to live a bit longer? What's going on
3: there? Uh, I mean, a lot of things, and, yeah. and those for sure. So if your fermentation is too hot and you're stressing out your yeast it's actually they're going to produce a lot of off flavors what we would consider flaws okay. really yeah. um these congeners that you know can be read as you know like tar burnt rubber i mean you know that's actually then translate through the still is these really like solventy you know kind of unpleasant you know nail polish remover paint yeah, thinner yeah. you know yeah which which you know i think the distillers can you know in the moment when they're making their cuts decide on you know, where they're diverting that to, when they're gonna start collecting their hearts, Mm -hmm. uh the shape of their still. For us, our philosophy is why even create any off flavors to begin with. Yeah. Really. Um I liken it often to minimalist cooking. I said that earlier today when we were walking around the the (laughs) distillery, it's it's getting excellent raw you know, raw ingredients, Mm -hmm. treating them well, not manipulating them too much, and really letting those shine through. Yeah. And that's the idea. So, you know, when we're done with our fermentation, when our wash is on its way to the still, it already tastes great. I mean, you guys got to sip the wash it's earlier delicious. today. You know, it's an unhopped pale ale. Really, yeah. it's it's really pleasant, and and in that way, it's it's also a minimalist approach to distilling. You know, we have these custom stills that have very short columns compared to the size of you know the pot, the body itself, mm-hmm. um, even the line arm. What did you call it? Like cute or oh, adorable? I, I think I think. <laughs> I... Said it, I think I said, said is said adorable? Adorable,
0: <laughs> adorable. <laughs> and I also it's, thought it was dainty. Like it was just so. It was pretty. It was like drinking tea, and your pinkies up. Yes, that's what it is. Pinkies up. Yeah. yeah. Well,
3: so yeah, it's a very short run through the linearm, and it's angled yeah. down. It's angled. Yeah, yeah really down steep towards yeah. the condenser. Yep. So you know, so really, that cool fermentation is key to everything because it's making a really flavorful. Really wonderful wash that mm. doesn't really have too much in the way of flaws, yeah. um, and then we get to have this, you know, low reflux custom pot still sure. retain all of that character. Okay, so yeah, very important.
0: So, uh, so that's your that's your fermentation DNA, right? That or that's how you get to it. This will this will be sort of a longer question here. So one of the things that fascinated me because I, I didn't know this until last night is you guys started in two thousand five which is really early on for the craft distilling movement within the US. And so you you spend a lot of time figuring out your beer, figuring out your wash that you're going to distill. And then you distill it, and then it becomes a whiskey. And I'm curious, was was there a point, or maybe this has happened a few times, where you said, you know what, we're not loving how it's turning out. We need to adjust the fermentation. Do you, was there that tweaking back and forth? And mm. you, you know what I
3: mean? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, we, we got started a long time ago, I mean, 17 years now, and That's our founder ballers. Christian and, and his partner at the time, who you know helped start the distillery, they were, you know, old Portland brewers had been you know, brewing yeah. in the early mid nineties and yep. late nineties had this idea that, you know, yeah excellent beer can make excellent single malt so they started down that journey and so you know the experimentation really wasn't focused on temperature and length of fermentation more of which you know which yeast strain do we think is actually yeah. going to make yeah. the best single malt but then also of course you know considering which one really speaks to i think what people have in mind as far as craft beer from the states mm-hmm. you know because again wanting to tie some kind of identity to what american single malt could be when there yeah. was no definition and there was really no example to look to before that so yeah. so our experimentations have been more with well, let's try a scottish ale strain early days you mm. know or let's try a belgian strain let's try pale ale you know oh, yeah, see okay. which one we think is really ideal yeah. and Knowing that, I mean, Sierra Nevada is just such a classic American craft beer yep. known all over that. Yeah. Those were kind of the flavor profiles that we were going for. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There was a, just brief aside, I was traveling to, to Scotland and on the way back, there was this, um, this, this woman who was serving us at the restaurant they we were at and, and we're asking her what beers they had. And she, was, she was Polish. She had a thick Polish accent, really fun. And uh, she said, "I'm not going to try to do the accent." But she said, <laughs> "You know, we ha- we have, we have this beer, and then we have this beer, and then we have the the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale." I'm sorry,
3: come again?
1: Love.
0: Pale Ale. Pale Ale. <laughs> How um, exotic! Yeah, right. Ooh, <laughs> Pale Ale. Mm. Um, right. Okay. So so you go through that experimentation, and and you figure out what your final product is. And so I guess, what is it? How would, how would you describe
3: your your DNA of your, of your whiskey? Mm. Uh, Westward is robust. It's full of character. I mean, again, just that minimal, you know, very low reflux pot still. Mm-hmm. For us, um, I want the grain to come through. I want mm-hmm. you to taste the grain. Um, for us, the fermentation is the majority of the flavor driver. Like, I want kind of... You know, so for a lot of American distillers, they would say they want 60 to 70% of their character to come from the barrel. Yeah. And I'm saying I want 60 to 70% to come from the fermentation. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, our DNA, again, is rooted in beer. I, I mean, I hate to hit this point over the head, but, I mean, <laughs> we truly are brewers inspired by beer making single malt, you know? Uh, so yeah, in our DNA are those characteristics of stone fruit, tropical fruit, yeah. floral, honey, nice grain notes and you know with our, our high color grain, you know, comes nuttiness, biscuit, chocolates, both, yeah. you know, kind of dark, dry cacao and some nice lush brown sugar and, and milk chocolate as well. So yeah. um yeah, I mean all those come together and, you know, balance out with the wood. I mean, for us, you know, you're asking about the DNA. Like I really my biggest concern during maturation is over oaking my whiskey.
2: Mm. You know, mm-hmm. because we
3: are going into virgin charred American oak. It's, a, yeah. it's an aggressive, it's an assertive wood. You know, yeah. it's gonna lend a lot of character to it. So, you know, we don't really feel like age statements are something that apply to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I say we age to taste. It's all about maturity. If mm. that whiskey's ready, then it's ready and I'm gonna put it in a blend. So generally that's four and a half to six years anywhere okay. from, from there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we just, at the end of the day, Anytime we're blending or innovating, trying something new or just doing the same thing day in and day out, Mm. uh, there's two questions. Is it balanced and does it taste good? Mm. And, you know, that's where we're at.
4: Yeah. Something that you brought up earlier, you said from a great beer comes a great whiskey. I love that. And I think that's epitomized what Westward has done, what we've tasted today. Another story that you brought up is kind of your pep talk to new distillers and new hires about like creating consistency and creating a consistent wash <laughs> like i've i found that fascinating because the samples we all tried today were wildly different and wildly interesting and engaging and exciting but you have that consistent wash and i maybe you can give a little insight into the story about like what your pep top is to to those new hires <laughs> and people who have to do the yeah the, consistent distill uh you know fermentation and distillation
3: i mean so we say we are craft distillers and that term craft gets tossed around a lot okay what does that mean exactly well to me a craft whether it's making whiskey or beer or carving wood or whatever your craft is to me that means like, I don't think you're ever gonna master it. It's just every day going in and doing what you did yesterday, but yeah. trying to do it just a little better. Yeah. Or trying to learn a bit more about the process. To me, yeah. that's a craft. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the pep talk, which, <laughs> you know, some brewers understand and some have no interest in is, I you know, I hope you like lager brewing because that's that's basically, you know, day in and day out, you are making the same thing because as you guys tasted with the single barrels today, each one, even, you know, we tasted two that were from the exact same run yeah, off the still yeah. and yeah. were very different whiskeys. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have consistency at the beginning with the yeah. wash, I mean, my job is, you know, the blender would be impossible. So... That's just, yeah. you know, and, and here's the thing. There's so much innovation going on with craft distilling right now, and it's wonderful to see. Um, people sometimes ask us, you know, are you going to make a rye, you're going to make a bourbon, you guys seriously, you're just stuck on single malt? And it's like, yeah, I don't think we want to do anything but single malt. Wow. And, you know, we want to keep making American single malt yeah. and tr- just keep, continue to elevate that category.
0: What a weird I mean, thing to be saying, like, you're stuck on single malt. That, that's a, it, it sounds almost negative, but I think you're, like you as well as, you know, the, I know there's the, the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission, you know, and you guys are working with the TTB to create this new category of American Single Malt. If you're being stuck on something, you're being stuck on something that's going to explode in a Absolutely. really good way.
3: Look, I mean, we're not looking At American single malt as some kind of passing fad like we are putting a stake in the ground and this is a category that we think has so much potential to be one of the best whiskeys in the world yeah so yeah I mean you know whiskey's fun and we of course love to have fun with it at the same time yeah this is our craft this is like this is our mission back to
0: Elijah's question because I thought it was really good about that consistency of creating your wash, and you just want you can make lager every day, and it's going to be the same, or it's going to be slightly better. But then, like you had said, we tasted two barrels that were filled on the same day, and they were wildly different. Is that frustrating? Is it exciting? Is it like w- <laughs> what's your approach there?
3: There is a there is a Zen approach to whiskey you have to have, <laughs> or it will drive you mad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you can't handle that it's it's not it's not the thing to do. Definitely, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, we are, of course, always striving for consistency. But at the same time, I don't feel like from batch to batch as I'm blending, it needs to taste exactly the same. Mm-hmm. When I'm sitting down with my assistant blender, and we're tasting through a bunch of barrel samples and starting to build a blend, um, we always have you know previous bottlings around to taste sure. and reference yeah. to, and you know just to make sure that kind of on track, but honestly I so for me, I don't know if you guys ever put fresh cracked black pepper on mango.
4: Can't say I have. That is But that sounds amazing.
3: (laughs) So I so to me in my mind, like I don't go by a flavor wheel. We don't have like, okay, here are the five points of, you know, different flavors that we're trying to hone in on when doing Mm -hmm. a blend. I know that when in the back of my palate, when I'm starting to get hints of like cracked pepper on mango, that I'm getting close to the blend that I want. That's where oh, I'm at.
0: Oh wow! Yeah. So okay. So that's your DNA. Is that you know? Th- there's a lot of people that that w- will refer to a distillery as having a key element, right? Balvenie is the honeyed malt. Glenallachie has the butterscotch, and and you know, Ardbeg is ashy, and Westland is known for being chocolatey, You know, with their five malt blend, like is that cracked black pepper and mango the that's your signifier there.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I dude. I love tasting Westward between bourbons, like doing like a whiskey of the world, or you know some tasting where there's you know various American whiskeys, and to have Westward between two bourbons, blows people's minds. Yeah. They're just like mango, papaya, stone fruit, peach, apricot. Like what is yeah. happening? It's just uh, an assault of delicious ripe fruit. Yeah. That's absolutely wild. Yeah.
0: So here's a question. Um, I, I want to dig into this blending aspect a little bit. I want to make sure I ask this correctly. Like, come, I'm just curious. Come correct, man. Yeah, yeah don't. <laughs> I'm just. I mean, I'm just curious of the frustration factor, right? Because you're 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 putting together. You mentioned before your bashes is around eighteen, twenty barrels, something like that. Yes. And very
3: little room for error.
0: Right. So yeah. you have a, just a small room for error, and if If I'm being honest, we tasted through nine samples, and I would say, of the nine samples, maybe three of them I got some of that that pepper, that peppery note going on. And so what is it like when you're dealing with these eighteen to, to, to twenty casts to get to that that specific thing that you want to put forth as this is westward?
3: Well, so we before we even in the blending room we are out here in the barrel house, and we'll gather probably 50 or 60 samples okay. of barrels. Okay. And then we will narrow that down. We'll actually first kind of check them for flaws, so we'll bring it down to like 10% and really just kind of nose and look for some flaws. You, um, you bring the cast samples down to 10% ABV? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah and it, it, that's, that's kind of a common thing for sensory. You, you yeah. really get an idea of what kind of flaws are there. Like oh, they okay. really stand out yeah. around that proof. Yep. That percentage. So then we'll kind of narrow it down to about thirty five or so. That's when we're in the blending room and narrowing it down mm, to about mm-hmm. eighteen or twenty. Right. Yeah. Uh, I I have this approach, I, I remember seeing like the ever seen like the perfumers blending pyramid? No. I like kind of I kind of work off that method where you've got like your base notes, right? And mm-hmm. that makes up the majority of your blend and then you've got these mid notes that kind of start to tie elements together and then your top notes are just a few things that kind of jump out of the glass. When it's all blended together, That Mm -hmm. it kind of hits your nose first, right? And so in narrowing down, yeah, we're coming across barrels that, okay, yeah, this one's got more of that kind of brown sugar, lush, mm-hmm. you know, really nice, like, kind of ripe stone fruit. Like, that's our base. we yeah. use those barrels as base. Uh, and so we okay. kind of just build okay. off that. Yeah. Top notes are, yeah, some of that kind of cracked pepper or, like, really wild, you know, tropical fruit, some mm-hmm. nice kind of floral notes as well. Lavender, which you kept picking oh, up yeah. um, so in there. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so there's, you know, there's a method. Um, but, yeah, it's it's more of just kind of, building it up you know mm-hmm. to like eventually get to that place yeah. and so what I love about our single barrel program and you know like you guys sitting down and tasting through all these things is every once in a while there's this outlier that yeah. is just like amazing on its own right because yeah. there's a lot of barrels that you taste and they're good mm-hmm. but they're not interesting on their own yeah you know Yep. and there's some that yeah they just their idiosyncrasies make them these wild barrels that we just like I, I can't even put this in a blend because this, this should be featured on its own. This really yeah. should just be yeah. out in the world yeah, yeah, yeah. as that's its cool. own. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, that's something I love about our single barrel program is actually giving these, I don't know, one out of every 50, 60 barrels a chance to like shine on their own out, yeah. out in the world. Yeah. It's awesome. And not just bury them in a blend.
2: Yep. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they need to shine. So one of the things I noticed walking into the barrel room is that it's all 53 gallon barrels and up. Well, there's, well, there's one 30 gallon barrel that I saw there, but was was that a decision from the get-go and what drove that decision to go with full-size barrels up the Yes.
3: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great observation. And we have, since day one, always filled into full-size ASBs, yep. the 200 liter 53 gallon barrels. I, I, you know, I think for us, um, I think it's been proven um I think it's like empirical knowledge that that size barrel is pretty ideal for American whiskey. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, it really is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of going back to all right, what what is, you know, an identifying factor of American single malt? What can mm-hmm. we kind of say this is also part of what we think American single malt is for us? Yeah. And that is aging in ASBs. I think, you know, you want to you want to challenge people's expectations as far as single malt goes, but also I think you know connect the dots in saying that this is still made in the states so you are going to still get some of these elements that you would expect from American whiskey yeah right? and so yeah a you know virgin charred white American oak cask you know ASB to mm. us, that's a hallmark of American whiskey yeah so yeah we've always gone into full-size barrels um, nothing smaller than a, a 53 gallon Except, you know the thirty. It's an experiment, <laughs> just to try. I don't even know how we even came across that barrel, but other than that, yeah. I mean, so for like Pinot Cask, you know, we're going into barriques, you know, French yeah. oak barrel that's held Pinot Noir. So, um, and we've messed around with some larger formats too. We've done some punch-ins here and there, um, but yeah, we've always felt that full size ASBs really were the way to go, Yeah, which, you know, early days in a whiskey distillery means you're, you're waiting even that much longer for your whiskey to be done. Yeah, so yeah, yeah we kind of, kind of did it the hard way yeah. for sure.
0: Paid off 17 years later, I guess, right? That's right. <laughs> hey man, nothing <laughs> will teach you
3: patience like making whiskey. Seriously.
4: <laughs> Touching on uh, maturation, and this is something Joshua brought up earlier uh, with the American Single Malt Commission. Uh, you Westward was a founding member yes. of the American single malt commission and in previous pad that, that Joshua and Jason have, have hosted featuring American single malt producers, a question that kind of came up is, is regionality and, you know, with Scotch whiskey and the Scotch whiskey lovers, you know, everything's, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, those lines are blurred now, but, but talking about region and how, you know, where this is, you know what distillery this is made at and what region and the way it affects flavor. Do you think, you know, as it looks like American single malt whiskey will be passed as an official category? This is awesome news. Do you think there's going to be some sort of regional identifier when, when bottling American single malt? Like, do you think there's like an Oregon single malt whiskey versus, um, I don't know, uh, like Santa Fe spirits, like New Mexico, single malt whiskey, or yeah. mm-hmm. et cetera, Balcones in Texas. Yeah.
3: I mean, if you're asking me right now, which obviously you are, uh, I, would say, <laughs> I would say no. I don't, I don't see their I, – I see it less as regional developments and more of maker developments. I, uh, this is where I feel like a lot of single malt makers in the States, even though a lot of us are inspired by beer um, – start to kind of head down that winemaker path of like, you know. so you're a brewer, you're making stout, you have recipes, generally you try to stay into the the category of like what's expected of that beer style, right? Winemakers, I'm making Pinot Noir, but this is how I make Pinot Noir. This is my version of Pinot Noir, Uh, right? And this is this year's vintage and this is how I like to do it. That doesn't mean there isn't terroir and there isn't a very distinctive maker's mark to that Mm -hmm. wine. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's like Westward. I, I think Westward is a whiskey of the elements. I mean, we're using Pacific Northwest grown barley. Uh, we're using geese that we get from brewers right here in Portland. Mm -hmm. We're aging right here in the Willamette Valley. So, I mean, I, I think there are some very, you know, distinctive identifiers to what we're doing. Um, having said that, I, I think right now, I mean, when we got started, there were maybe 30, Six craft distilleries in the country, and there's well over two thousand now. And I mean, we're 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 close to I think two hundred single malt makers at this point. Wow, really? I think so. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah. I think the most compelling thing about the category is that while we're all, for the most part, quality minded, we're doing it our way. You know, and to me, that's great. That's just, yeah. You know, that isn't innovating just for the sake of innovating. That's like exploring new ways to. Express more flavor. Oh, yeah. I, I so, said this earlier. I you know, whiskey's five elements: it's grain, it's yeast, it's water, it's wood, and it's time. Yeah. you know, and even just the smallest tweak of any of those, and you're getting something entirely different. You know, yeah. not just that different element, but how it interacts with all those other elements as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. You know? That one
0: little left turn
4: takes everything else with it
0: mm-hmm. in a,
4: a fun way. Exactly. Yeah, American single malt commission, like the, the standards, the guidelines, the rules seem to have kind of a, uh, openness to the, and gi- gives the freedom for a lot of distilleries. There, there's, there's good standards there, but there's also a freedom depending, you know, what, what resources, you're, what raw resources you're using, uh, maturation types, maturation time. Like there's no, there's no limit for example on that. I think that's pretty interesting, um, for the future of American single malt, and I don't think you're the first person to say that it's not about a region, but it's more about the flavor. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, that it's 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 more the the flavor is the identity of the distillery rather than the region, yeah. or this is you know a style that that we're choosing um, because we're Oregon single malt. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean,
3: I. I think a lot of us are just taking inspirations from so many different areas, not just in whiskey making. I mean, I like here at the barrel house, I, I practice elevage that's inspired by winemaking. making. Um, how, I, how I treat my barrels and some of the maturation techniques are also inspired by cognac making, you know, and, and just like sitting down with some of these amazing, you know, brandy makers and just kind of mm-hmm. picking their brain and really mm-hmm. just having more of a like philosophical discussion about distillation and maturation yeah. rather than like actual techniques, you know, it's just your approach. And I think that's part of the culture here in Portland too. You know, there's so many makers, there's so many creative people here and we're very collaborative. We're always yeah. interested in what someone else is doing. Yep. you know, this restaurant or this brewery, you're like, what are you guys up to? Oh, that's amazing. Like we should we should do something together. You know? yeah. And to me that just continues to build more and more creative endeavors that yeah. to me that's that's the hallmark of it. I it's funny, we're kind of caught in between so like, you know, there's so many rules in Scotland about whiskey. And then there's so few rules about whiskey in Japan, you know, and you kind of see how that goes in (laughs) in both ways, right? And so for us, you know, informing the Single Malt Commission was like, okay, let's have some guidelines, you know, some things that I think can give, you know, whiskey lovers, consumers an idea of somewhat of what to expect, just Mm -hmm. some standards you can say. But then also, you know, wording some of those rules in a way that really just continue to encourage experimentation and trying new things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like that collaborative element, right? The you know we all help each other out in some way. Like you look out for one another, which is kind of kind of cool.
3: Absolutely, I I I hope it stays this way forever. I mean, in 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 the world of you know craft distilling, I think there is that like all ships rise with the tide. Yeah, still, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, there's a fun competitive edge to it. I mean, sure. everybody wants to be <laughs> the best mm-hmm. and you yeah, know, and kind of put your stuff out there. But ultimately you are all just having a ton of fun doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, this is really, this is a really cool thing. Mm
4: -hmm. So, yeah. And touching on that collaborative effort, you mentioned briefly about uh, getting yeast from breweries. Like that's, you just, you told us earlier while we were at the distillery, you just call them up and say, hey, need some yeast. Uh, You know, it's not a specific brewery you go to, but it's, you know, distilleries all through Portland. I found that super interesting.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that, I mean, that's just the nature of it. And, you know, same thing with, you know, from the other end, brewers calling me, hey, man, you got some empty whiskey barrels? Like, yeah, hey, trying to yeah. age this stout. You know, what do you got? Yeah. Um, and at this point, you know, with our stout cask, I mean, we've worked with 45 or 50 breweries all around, you know, Oregon and Southern Washington and wow. probably, I don't know, eight or a dozen different wineries for the Pinot cask. Love- um, there's actually one barrel that we've traded back and forth it's just one single barrel, um, seven times with the same brewery. <laughs> wow. This is a brewery that I used to work wow. for, I, fifteen years ago. Now yeah, yeah. we call it the Heritage Barrel, yeah. and it's just gone back and forth over and over. And I actually just this summer um, got it scraped, toasted, and recharred because oh, after nice. six fills, it yeah. was kind of not really doing anything. You know, it's kind of yeah. just became this like neutral yeah. barrel. Um, yeah, we just brought it back to life, and I gave it back to the brewery. So.
2: It's yeah, awesome. I mean, it's
3: like, why not?
0: <laughs> Earlier today you were talking about being in being in the UK and being in Europe for what, three weeks or so? Yeah.
3: About yeah, it weeks? just was.
0: And you did a class with uh, with Dave Broom and you're talking about American single malt to uh, to the class. And I'm just curious of you know, what are what are people outside of the US thinking about American single malt do they have preconceived Mm. notions about it like I feel I feel as if American single malt will spend a good portion of time pushing water uphill and the water may be a bit different over on the other side of the pond so what are some of the challenges that you're you're facing there
3: well yeah I mean we've been we've been pushing uphill for quite a long time. Mostly here in the States, which yeah, yeah. so, you know, we've we've launched in Australia and yeah, I mean we've been in Europe for a couple of years and honestly, uh the the biggest hurdles have been here in the States. Oh wow. Yeah. I think oh, people wow. just tend to struggle with understanding why we're not making bourbon, you know? Yeah. Why 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 aren't we doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just being over at like Whiskey Live in Paris and then yeah the Whiskey Show in London with Dave Brum and I and, and Chris from Westland all talking about American oh, Single yeah. Malt yep. um, I mean we, yeah we had a microphone getting passed around you know the audience and it was at the end of the night too so everyone was like pretty well ready to talk about whiskey yeah yep. they were lubricated
0: <laughs> they Get were yeah. indeed
3: <laughs> yeah uh and it, i mean the response was across the board positive and i i think that what we're doing as far as challenging people's expectations of whiskey is 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 catching people off guard but in a good way mm. you know it's a really positive response mm-hmm. it's just like it, there you know a lot of what i hear was i've, I've never tasted single malt like yeah. this like, yeah and that you know but then followed up by this is delicious. I love this. This is great. The important, the most important follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the big one for sure. Yeah. 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 Do they enjoy it? Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I I don't feel like there's too much resistance or lack of understanding about what we're doing. Yeah. Really. I think people are very excited about it. Yeah. I mean, even last year, was it last year? I mean, of time. Uh, yeah, I think it was early 2020. We did the, the World Whiskey Forum. You know, it's all single malt makers from all over the oh, world. Yeah, we were yeah, all in yeah, Seattle. Yeah. yeah, I was meant to be um, there. And there you were, yeah, there were, you know, Scottish distillers there. Yeah. that we just like, man, I'm so jealous yeah. of what you guys get to do and yeah. experiment with. And we feel like we're kind of like a little,
2: you know. SW is
3: really tight with the regulations.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah like, and, and we've had um, another... So, we have the two podcasts. We have One Nation Under Whiskey, and then we have Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. And, well, at least as far as today goes, the next episode is going to be focusing on uh, American single malt. And, and what I love about these, these new rules is that, A, it's tightened some things up, but it's left room for, for creativity and enough and so much room. It's much more than the S.W.A. allows the Scottish producers, which is really nice for you guys. Um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say about that.
3: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, and that's, I mean, the, we primarily discussed that at the talk with Dave Brum mm. was, you know, we're, we're about to get this designation, this protected mm. official yeah. term put on the books. Yeah. American single malt. Yeah. It's a big deal. Especially here, where everything is, is very bourbon centric, and I, I, I love bourbon. I, mm-hmm. Nothing against bourbon; I think it's great. We just, you know, need to make a little room for us too. And so, having this designation, yeah, really does, I think, put just that much more, I guess, legitimacy to yeah. the category. I think, in yeah. like consumers' eyes, yeah, you know, obviously we think what we're doing is very legit, um, you know, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's a very, very important step. So I I know you have a question. Let me just ask this before I forget it.
0: I think the category is going to put legitimacy in the eye of the consumer, especially the American consumer. But I really think that it's going to need the cooperation of bars, restaurants, and retail shops, right? Because there is shelf space. And I would guess a lot of shop owners or a lot of people who are running bars, they'll just see... Okay, American, let's put that next to wild turkey. Let's put that next to Maker's Mark or what have you. So where does American single malt fit on the shelf? Where should it sit? <laughs> does it sit within world whiskey? Does it, should it have its own category? Like, that's another element of education. And, and we're talking on a level, most people don't even know the TTB, Right. So to get to the masses, you have to go through the retailers, you have to go through that front line. So how do we, how do we get there? And You may not know the answer, but what are your, what are your thoughts on that aspect of the education of the,
3: of the American consumer? American single malt needs its own space on the shelf. Yeah, it needs its yeah. own spot in the store. Absolutely. And at this point, with as many makers as we have in this country, I don't see why it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's enough incredibly good like quality single malts being made that it absolutely has its own space Mm -hmm. yeah and you know yeah over the years visiting and you know different liquor stores and seeing it's a fun game to like walk in you know this is i mean it's different now but like okay where did we get put you know here (laughs) oh with with japanese whiskey okay why like you know and you know so i yeah again i think our our biggest hurdle is is education Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. yeah just yeah across the board, we've always taken the approach at the distillery that, um, you know, we we wanna be heavily involved in like the restaurant scene. Um, We love, you know, bringing Westward to bartenders, people who are cocktailing Um, and to us, because we think those people are looking to be and kind of have to be a bit more educated because they are kind of these ambassadors right kind of in between Mm -hmm. distillers you know between makers and consumers you know someone's sitting in a bar and they want to try something you know that the bartender's going to suggest or steer them in a certain direction yeah um and so you know our approach has always always been that way you know we're very we're very active in that especially with the single barrel program too Mm -hmm. you know for like yeah just really getting in in that way um we're not you know, I'm I'm more inclined to set up a whiskey dinner with, you know, a restaurant or a chef that I really yeah, love and yeah. pair my whiskeys with their food than just go into a liquor store and set up a table and try to taste people on Westward. You know, <laughs> yeah. that just that doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. <laughs> like it doesn't. I would rather show them our passion and our creativity with someone else who shares that same passion. Yeah. Really. That's yeah. that's how we like to do it. Beautiful.
4: Yep. Yeah, my my question was you know, you seem to have a really good response outside of the U.S. and really receptive and really responsive to American single malt. Like, yeah, totally, bring it on. What do you think is the, as Joshua said, like, like kind of running upstream? Like, what, what, what is the uphill battle with American single mall in America? Like, it, it's still, even though this category has been growing and becoming more and more legitimate. Um, it's always been legitimate in our eyes, oh, yeah. but it's just like, w- what is, what, what's the disconnect? Is it like the love of, of bourbon and rye and that tradition, or is, is there... I,
3: th- I think it's as simple as the word whiskey, because yeah. wow. when you say whiskey in the States, people assume you're talking about bourbon, right. yeah. maybe rye. Yeah. When you say whiskey, anywhere else in the world, really just about everywhere else people assume you're talking about malt whiskey
2: mm-hmm.
3: because that is truly the world whiskey i mean it's made all over the planet yeah you know yep. um, blended or single malt i mean people for the most part that's when you use that term whiskey that's what they think yeah. of and yeah. so i think it's 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 the word and it's connotation and so what if they hear the word whiskey <laughs> 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 whiskey <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't tried it, so you might be onto something there. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool whip. <laughs> whip. Would you like to try my whiskey? <laughs> that might get me kicked out. I don't know.
0: Um, one of the things that that fascin- fascinated me a bit, as we're tasting through these these different barrel samples, and I could be wrong because we are, you know, nine samples in, and we have a little sidecar of beer here. Um, <laughs> Thank you again. It, we were tasting one particular barrel that I, I I just thought was was gorgeous, right? And and, and I told you before, when when we're selecting casks, we like to take it off site, take, you know, it, we're in a controlled environment, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm tasting this and I'm thinking, this is one of the best casts I've tasted in 2021. It was just delicious. And as I was thinking that, you'd said, man, I'd love to taste this in an old fashion. I'd love to cocktail this. <laughs> and I just, I love that. I absolutely <laughs> love that, that you're, you, you, you said it before, whiskey is, is fun. And so you're all about that. Like, like you, you don't care how Westward is consumed. You want to see it. Single cast, cast strength, and a cocktail. Like, what's your what's your vision for how people should consume and learn about Westward?
3: Having played in bands and been a musician and trying to understand that world yeah. in my previous life, yeah. you know, you can't choose your audience and you can't choose how they appreciate your music. <laughs> so I, I feel like the same applies to whiskey. Um, and also, yeah, it should be fun. It and also whiskey's meant to be drunk. Like, yeah. you know, drink yeah. it. I. I I want to make this delicious thing for you to enjoy and like bring you enjoyment, mm-hmm. you know, and like have a nice time with, mm-hmm. right? Um, it shouldn't just sit collecting dust or be like, you know, so hallowed and revered that, mm-hmm. you know, you can really only try to appreciate it in one way. And to me, that just kind of sucks the fun out of the room. Yeah, It really does. Yeah. So yeah. And people ask me this all the time. Oh man. So yeah. What if you saw somebody, you know, just dumping a bunch of Coca-Cola in Westwood? And I was like, <laughs> well, I, genuinely hope that's how they like it and mm. they have a really mm-hmm. good time with it I'm, yeah. not, I'm not here to tell people how to yeah. drink whiskey yeah 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 so yeah i mean okay i've never actually seen anyone dumping coca-cola in <laughs> the so i can't give you a true you know account of how i would respond to that but i really yeah it's meant to be enjoyed so i hope people enjoy it however yeah. they want yeah truly
2: yep
3: yeah. yeah that's that, that's great
0: can I get back to there's a specific note that I kept getting and I want to say out of, out of the 9 samples 6 of them I got it and it's lavender. And it's so pretty and somehow followed by baker's chocolate and mole I got mole with it as well like somehow these these notes are living simultaneously in your whiskies harmoniously in your whiskeys and do you know specifically where these flavors are coming from? Are you just happy they're there? Like, <laughs> y- you know what I
4: mean?
3: I, I do. Uh, it's funny to have seen you pick up on the lavender almost right away because I, not many people pick up on that mm-hmm. really. Um, and yeah, there's, there's elements of, of this great florality in in Westwood that, Kinda of comes and goes and you know, we're we're really just so stuck on the fermentation of it. Mm. You know, and mm. I mean if you think about what yeast is and why it does what it does, I mean it's it's essentially, you know, it's it's creating all these esters because out in the world, out in nature, you know, you can't just travel around. It travels in the wind and it yeah. travels on animals, yeah. right? And, yeah. and and bees. And so, you know, it, it produces these esters that give us this like fruit and floral notes to attract you know, bees, for example, or, you know, birds, and then they get to transport the yeast around and bring it to other places and give it more opportunities to thrive. Um, and you know, so then we exploit that to make delicious whiskey. Um, the lavender specifically, I, I couldn't say how exactly we're Mm -hmm. producing that ester, but I think it's just an element of this floral aspect that you get in Westward. And sometimes it reads stronger yeah. in, in certain yeah. barrels. Yep. I think also sometimes it just reads stronger for certain people. That's like true. There's some people that sip Westward and they're just like, wow, like orange and like, you know, lemon rind. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, yeah. really? You know, and I, I get a citrus aspect to the whiskey, yeah. but you know, yeah, we all have different palates and perceive differently. And so, um, yeah, that was that was pretty cool to see you pick up on the lavender right away, so. Uh, cheers, man. Yeah.
4: So Joshua's Getting a little into the scientific Geeky Ew, flavor. Me yes. pushing up my glasses yes. <laughs> <laughs> Geeky approach And you mentioned uh, Just just a second ago About you being a musi- musician um, I have no musician background Joshua has a lot of mich- <laughs> Thank God for edits Do you have any background yes. With uh, the American language? Yes. Or uh, the English language? Yeah. Ameri- what is that American again? single uh, malt musician? language? Yes Joshua has, you know, a lot of experience with being a musician. Mm -hmm. Um, And you guys connected uh, yesterday, last Mm -hmm. night, about kind of your passion for music. Uh, Beyond the scientific aspect of being a blender and selecting and distilling and creating what Westward is, is there, like, an artist's influence? Maybe it's not specific to music, but... Is there a creativity and passion as far as being an artist and and allowing that to kind of shape the way you see whiskey beyond just like geeky you know, which I enjoy, geeky scientific like flavors and components and this is why this is this happens. Like, do you have any insight? Yeah.
3: I mean I I think whiskey is the is the meeting of art and science. It is those two coming together. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, because I, I think there is an element of this, and you guys have seen this today, tasting whiskey with me. There's an element of this that is just kind of out of your hands. You know, yeah. it's up to yeah. nature. about, yeah. You know, part of it, and um, obviously, you know, for the sake of consistency, we try to understand and control a lot of the process. But at some point, you just have to let go, like you do. Yeah. Um, even when it comes to you know selecting a cask and saying, okay, this is ready. Mm-hmm. I've decided this is ready and it's going to go into a blend. Yeah. Um, I, I actually think about like, uh, I mean, I've played in bands where, you know, someone is this brilliant songwriter, but the song's never done. It's never perfect yeah, enough. Yeah, right. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, nah, I got to keep working on it. It's like, yeah. I think it's pretty good and we should play it. you know. <laughs> and so you have to find that balance yeah. of, well, obviously we want it to be a good song that makes sense and is put together and people enjoy it. But not, you know, six months later, like, ah, I think I still need to tweak this. You know, and that yeah. chorus is a little weird. It's like, man, let's just let's get this song out there. Yeah. Um, so Peter Gabriel syndrome, a lot of his musicians yeah, say, you yeah. know, we just like, man, you got to at some point bring it out to the world yeah. and let it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it is uh, this this funny approach of knowing the science, which is good and bad because you know what you can do and you also then know what you can't do, which mm. you kind of have to leave up to nature and, and the climate, you know, that surrounds your whiskey. Um, and then just, yeah, kind of trusting your instincts. And yeah, there's a, so there's a creative element to that of, you know, putting together a blend and building that and actually then letting it out into the world.
4: Yeah. Put it in my mouth. Put it in your mouth.
3: Yeah. Exactly. Hashtag Westward. Put it in your mouth. Put it in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's where it goes.
0: <laughs> um, you know, one thing that I want I want to clarify a little bit here is, you know, we're we're talking about this whiskey being produced from a brewer's perspective, and and you're not the only one, right? There, there's a lot of American single malt producers that are doing that, and really again back to that front loading element you, you, you know you're trying to pay attention not just to the distillate and how it's mature matured but what you're doing to create that distillate what's happening before that and and I just want to clarify to our listeners this westward if you've not had it before it doesn't taste like distilled beer right there's no hops in it right but it's it's that care that you put into creating the most delicious beer you can to then be distilled, which, which I think is, is so interesting when you compare it to cognac producers or maybe some shochu producers. And, and you, you, you'd said before, you take some, uh, some insight from, from brandy producers. They're producing wines you wouldn't want to drink to then distill. The Shochu producers are producing sakes you wouldn't want to drink to then distill, but you're producing a beer you would want to drink, and then to, to distill. And I think that's a very different approach to whiskey production.
3: It is, and you know, it's it's a, I think a very inefficient way to make whiskey. <laughs> yeah. which it truly is. Yeah. Uh, but it makes the whiskey that we want to make. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it is. That's, that's, that's our approach. That's our, our stamp on single malt is, is yeah, that front-loading, that yeah, care at the beginning yeah, of... Yeah. And we can't help it as brewers. I mean, that's, that's what you know. I mean, when you're done with fermentation in a brewery, you have, you know, a few weeks mm-hmm. of conditioning or longer if you're a lager maker. Mm-hmm. But that's really it. That's, for, that's the, the final chance you have <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. unless, you, you know, you're going to dry hop the living hell out of a beer. Um, that's kind of the final chance you have of like imbuing as much quality as you can yeah. into your product. So that's just, that's second nature for us. Yeah. You know, that's what yeah.
4: we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Yep. Speaking of inefficiency, <laughs> um, distillation, the total yield. Oh after yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Process of distillation. Could you touch on that just a little bit and give us those numbers and that perspective? Because I found that inefficient. <laughs> yes, yes,
3: we uh, we are we are gleefully inefficient, really. We are. Uh, yeah. So we're using ale yeast. It's it's not a really aggressive yeast. One that you know typically a lot of distillers are going to mm. go for because we're we're creating a lot less alcohol. You know, our wash when it's headed to the still is percent ABV. Yeah. You know, really not that high. Yeah. And so but for us, that's the yeast we want, and it's the yeast that makes it delicious. And so that's what we're gonna use. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what we're doing. Um yeah, I mean, our wash still is three thousand gallons, eleven thousand liters-ish. And, you know, after our two distillations, we have about, you know, four and a half to five barrels of whiskey. Of, of usable new make that's gonna wow. get into four and a half to five barrels. So, you know, basically from 3,000 gallons or 3,100 gallons to about 225 gallons. Right, and that, crazy it's crazy, it's crazy because you- Drives have, our accountant's <laughs> mad. I hate it.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> you do hear that the common ratio tends to be your, your distillate, right? Your heart's cut off your second distillation is about 10% of what that original volume is. And you're working below that 10% margin. And that's, is that a combination of, uh, is that just because of the yeast you're using or is it also a slightly lower yield barley because you're after that flavor from the barley and not necessarily just for volume? That is a
3: very keen observation, right. my friend. Yeah. yes, because we use a what the, our malster calls a high color base malt, yeah, yeah, we yeah. are sacrificing just a little efficiency yeah, yeah, yeah. in oh, our okay. yield okay. for more flavor
2: okay
3: i mean that's that's really what it is we're yeah. we're sacrificing yeah. yield altogether across the board for yeah. flavor, and yeah. we think in the end it's worth it i agree given given today yes yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and uh you know we've we've tried you know M1 the ubiquitous you know single malt yeast strain and and it's mm. just it's not for us it just isn't getting to where we want the new make to be I said it earlier today I mean we we refer to our new make as barley eau de vie. Mm. you know it's mm. just got tons of character yep. just great flavor no off notes either. really no yeah. like rough yeah. edge to it yep. much at all yep. and that's yep. and it's seen no time in oak and no age yep. no oxidation that's just right off the still.
0: Yeah, sometimes I'll taste a new make and I'll find an off note, and I'll and I'll think, "Ooh, that's 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 going to age nicely in the cast. That's going to turn into this, that, or the other thing." But it's off. Where your new make, your new make, there was no off. It was just gobs of fruit.
3: Yeah. Well, and that's our method. And yeah. so I, you know, I think for other distillers who have very different approaches and different methods of making whiskey, they don't really consider those flaws because. Yeah. They know, given a certain amount of time you know, yeah. and the elements, that that will turn yeah. into something more beautiful, really yeah. something tasty. Yeah. For us, we want, Westford's designed to be young. We want it to be really bright, and we want those fruit notes to yeah. be really, yep. really bright, really yep. robust, um, and not really kind of fall off and get too flat. So we
0: have, we have one question we always close with. Elijah, would you like to ask that
4: closing question? Let's hope that I don't butcher it but uh I'm judging you silently also audibly
0: as our listeners can attest to
4: yes all the (laughs) listeners will hold me accountable (laughs) but for Westward and maybe even for American Single Malt what what are you looking forward to what gets you excited what are you excited about in the future
3: so many things
4: so (laughs) for example there's independent
3: bottlers as yourselves um they're popping up more and more around the States, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That that shows that there's just that many more quality single malt makers here in the States. Um Lost Lantern, for example. Yeah, we were part of their first vatting. Yeah. And I think the best part of that was, you know, they used six different distillers, single malt makers, but from like literally every corner of the States. Yeah. You know, yeah. Seattle here, down to Santa Fe, Texas, Virginia, up to um Massachusetts, you know? Um, that's amazing to me. I yeah. love that. To me, that's like, yeah, that's the brave new world. That's you know something we're looking forward to for sure. And then just more experimentation. I mean, we're we're diving ourselves into more finishes. Obviously, always experimenting with different yeast strains. Yeah. Uh, what's exciting for me is just to just take this to more people. You know, bring yeah. this out to more people in the world yep. and show them what yeah. we're up to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely. And then, of course our designation, huge step. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Over huge. the moon for that. Yeah. That is yeah. massive.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for. For the weekend, or two—I don't even know how long we've been with you. It feels like a long time, but in the best way. Uh, it's been a great couple days, and and here getting to taste through a bunch of samples uh, with you in the barrel house, and then this fine ass beer at the end. Yeah, man. Sweet yeah. fancy Moses. That's but I, you
3: really know, good. honestly, this is this is my pleasure really. And, Cheers. you know, it brings me joy to, you know, bring people into our world and show them what we're, what we're doing. So awesome. thank you guys. Really. Cheers.
4: Cheers. Cheers.
1: That was excellent. Thanks so much to you for making the time for that. Elijah for rolling up his sleeves and jumping in and, and obviously for miles uh, for sitting down and, and taking all those questions. You're spot on. As we led into that, you talked about Elijah asking questions that advanced the conversation. And it really happened. That was that's very cool. I love watching the, the growth of our company, the expansion of our company. And as we've added Jess and now Elijah, I love that there's more of us striving to, to do good work here.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll get him on more and more. I thought his questions were good. You could tell, I mean, you heard it in his voice. He he was a bit nervous to you know be asking this question while being recorded, but the question was there and the question was good. So he'll he'll get over that nervousness and he'll continue on with the with
1: the good well, he can go back and listen to our episode one anytime he wants so, <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> i think we're going to be very generous here <laughs> very very generous um yeah interesting they're listening to the focus on brewing and mm. not too long ago we had a good conversation with our our friends at copperworks jason and jeff over there focus on brewing happening there Here we are still in the Pacific Northwest, down in Portland, with Westward, that same focus on brewing and the idea that you get out what you put in, do your work early, earn the rewards later. And in listening to Miles in his role as a blender, it was wonderful hearing about those payoffs that he experiences from having the brewers make the very best lager possible.
0: Yeah, it was it was really interesting to get that perspective. Granted, single malt producers in Scotland are doing exactly what he explained, right? They're making a consistent wash to then be distilled so that in the end, you know, hopefully the 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 blending process is is easier. However, it's quite clear they're they're going after very specific flavors. And it gets back to this idea of 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 front-loading, of putting the work in early, like you'd said, you put the work in early to get very specific flavors. You may suffer in in, in yield, but in the end what you're doing is is you're set out to make a very specific flavor profile. And hopefully, if you've done things right in the end, the blending should be a bit a bit easier if you've had that consistency in fermentation. And it, it really it really amazed me that you know, you taste their wash, which is just an unhopped lager. It's really delicious. And, and that's all it tastes like though, right? Just a nice, clean, unhopped lager. But then all of a sudden, lavender comes out of it, and and mangoes, and chocolate, and dried apricots, and you know all of these flavors through distillation and maturation. It's just it's just wild to me, what can come of it.
1: Well, well, we are we're clearly fans of the L word. That little bit of lavender can can go a mm. long way. Did you taste any samples? Where that lavender became more pronounced. So
0: let me let me set the record straight here. We selected for Single Cast Nation two casks. Cask four twenty three had a bit of lavender on it, which which I was really drawn to. Um, mm-hmm. And and that one, I think I I think I mentioned it in the recording or I know I mentioned it in the recording, but I'm trying to think, and I know we just re-listened to it, but um, I made a comment where I said one of these casks was perhaps the best cask of whiskey, single cask, I had tasted in 2021. It's and a hell of a claim. It's a hell of a claim, and, and I think it was cask 423. It had to have been cask 423, and just that delicate lavender just hugging the backbone, right? Where, where that backbone is the stone fruit. It is that chocolate and, and, you know, just this luscious quality to it. But the lavender is never too far away. So we selected mm-hmm. that one, and then we selected a second cask, and this was actually uh, Elijah's favorite of the trip, and that was cask number 304. So cask... 423 is their standard number two char and their standard, um, uh, you know, yeast. Their standard malt, etc. Cast number 304. The char is the same. The yield is the same. The difference is they're using uh, an extra special malt in this, so it's a slightly different type of barley that is giving us um, a bit more funk going on, a bit more heft to the overall experience.
1: Okay. And a second ago, you said the yield is the same. Did you mean the yeast is the same? Sorry, I did mean the yeast is the same. Cool, cool. Yep. Apologies. I figured. I just wanted to be clear for the listener. That sounds sounds excellent. Sounds lovely. Clearly, here we are in December of 2021. We're not going to see these until 2022. But it's it's mm-hmm. exciting that there are more selections out in the world with with our name on it, and the spirit of collaboration looms large.
0: That it does, and I'm looking forward to the next two that come after this. Um, you know, this is only the start of our relationship with Westward, and and this is something that, you know, Jason, you and I have been trying to do since we started the company. Is when you start a relationship, you you maintain it and you nurture it, and yep. And that's done on many levels. And, and part of it is just that gospel. I have had bits and bobs of Westward before going to the distillery. I knew enough, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it wasn't until actually spending a couple of days with Miles and and just spending some time with the distillery where I got to explore more of, of their standard releases. And uh, like their Pinot Noir cask now, I, I can't get enough of it. Like it, mm. it, it, this this trip has turned me into a casual appreciator of Westward uh, and converted me into um, uh, a, a huge appreciator and someone who wants to spread the gospel, not just through our own bottlings, but to tell people about the Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir cast, tell them about the Stout cast, tell them about some of the other bottlings that they're doing. Right? We, we do this with every distillery. <laughs> That's exactly what with. I
1: was thinking. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this, is, this is why we're in it. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I come back to an old story, gosh, eight years ago now, gosh, when I was in LA and there was a chap at the tasting who had said, I'm in the nation now. I, I'm in the nation for the long haul. You guys yeah. are curating whiskey for me. The world of whiskey, and this ties in beautifully with where we started the episode, you know, the the world of whiskey is huge. There's so much to know. There's so much to learn, so much to discover. When you say, have a look at this distillery, it goes a long, long way. And from this year, going down to Virginia Distillery Company for the first time, Mm -hmm. they're now somebody we wax lyrical about. Obviously, we've got our long-term friends at Catoctin Creek, at Westland. We've got Jason and Jeff at Copperworks. Mm-hmm. Here's Miles at Westward. Like, these are people we're learning about and putting out there, talking about, and yeah. saying, hey, th- yeah. there is a lot to select from. Give that a try. Give that a look. What did we say earlier about if Kilholman was on that restaurant whiskey list? I'd give... Kilhoman, that little, you know, that little nod. And so, yeah, it's exciting. I I love it when there's new discoveries being made and new discoveries being shared with the nation, with the podcast. That's why we're here. Yep, exactly. So
0: normally at this time, we would be calling in the paperboy because we would have news to share. Uh. We don't have news to share this time around. Nothing new, new. Is there something maybe I'm not thinking about, Jason?
1: Well, let's give him a gentle shake. Maybe there's two or three things we could talk about on the other side. So in the last episode, we talked about the, the Croft Crofting Gaea for the, the Selway Bitterroot Frank Church Foundation charitable offering and the Bean Lee, the 14-year-old rum. We talked about those being limited to one bottle per nation member here in the US and there were still some available in the store. We just had the Thanksgiving break last week from the launch of this episode and we have announced reorders of those are available. And so, so long as we have those in stock, if you've ordered previously, thank you very much. Please return to the singlecastnation.com front page and you'll see both bottles in stock there. Obviously, it is rapidly depleting. But if you want to do another go around on the pickup, you are more than welcome to do so. It has been wonderful as bottles are reaching the nation and being opened, hearing how much people are enjoying them, is music to our ears. A a 16-year-old Peated Highland single malt and a 14-year-old Australian rum. The great things to drink through the festive season, through the end of November, into December, New Year, it's... Those are things for sharing. Real good, good bottles for sharing.
0: Yeah, speaking of which, I took a bottle of our, we took a bottle of our Beanley and our Laughing Frog bottle Mm -hmm. to the Mm -hmm. Owl Shop here in New Haven. And so the shop owner there, Glenn Greenberg. So Glenn was there. Yoni Miller, our cigar czar, was there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Eric Shaw, who's a, local oh, yeah. Connecticut Nation member yeah. and Nick Nick Conti who is a shop owner here and and we we're just sitting around smoking cigars and drinking the laughing frog and drinking the beanley and the beanley really captured the attention of everyone on the table no one not a single person myself included I had to go back and and do a double take on the ABV you would not know that it's 65.1% <laughs> alcohol. Uh, like it's not even close. It just no. is drinking like a nice 46 percenter. Yeah, maybe 50. yeah, maybe
1: 50. Maybe 50. I was telling you that before we hit record over here. Like the other day my my sample bottle came in from the company. I opened it of an evening, I poured one, I sat, enjoyed it, watched some TV with my wife. Before I knew it, I poured a second. Continue to enjoy some TV with my wife. Before I knew it, I poured a third. I it just it just kept drinking. Can I make a little suggestion, Jason?
0: Date night? <laughs> yeah, let's have uh, let's have a little date night with a little beanley. What do you say we pour a little beanly in our glass
1: and All right. Talk All about right, it a little bit. Me. Let me just uh, reach down beside myself here. There we go. <coughs> Jeez, That's a squeaker. Corpus. I was going to say, you you got a real tight cork. Oh. Of all the things you've said to me on our many date nights. Of all the things you've said before.
0: So, all right, so I've just poured mine. So this is a uh, 14-year-old... Ah. 14 years old single cask Australian rum 65.1% alcohol and it's funny the the label says second fill bourbon hogshead and and I know that's that's what the paperwork said second fill distilled August 2007 bottled September 2021 261 bottles but if you look at the color It almost looks like a first-fill sherry. Yeah, it's a beauty. It's super dark, and and obviously natural color. There's no sugar added to this rum. There's no (laughs) caramel coloring added to this rum. It's just rum that spent 14 years, well, 13 years maturing in Australia and then a year uh, in the UK. Mm. So you already went into the sip. I'm still on the nose here.
1: I tell you, when it is your first of the day, you get a little bit more of the alcohol. (laughs) When you're drinking it around lunchtime, yeah. (laughs) It's it's a slightly different preposition. Mm. Yeah, delightfully drying around the edges. Mm.
0: Yeah, on the nose. It's really fruity on the nose. And I know, you know, sometimes, sometimes when when you're trying to figure out the fruit, I don't know if you do this, but I do this sometimes. Like I'll I'll notice something, and I'll get colors of fruit. Right? It'll start off with like mm-hmm. yeah, red yellow, berries, yeah, yeah, red berries or or yellow fruit, which may be mango. It may be yeah, uh, you know, something like that. And so green green wine gums. That's a fruit. Yeah, there you go. And so for me, it's it's wait, green wine gums are a fruit.
1: Wait, what? You are you're just you're, you're making sure you're speaking I'm listening to somebody to from Scotland over here. <laughs> <laughs> yep, take take your fruit to school, okay, mom. Give me the pack of wine gums. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's it really is. It's all fresh mango on the nose. It really is nice and fruity.
1: Yeah, the the thing for me is the rum notes to it are are so obvious that it's almost like me when I'm dealing with a peated whiskey. I don't focus on the peat. I don't delve into the peat. I don't envelop myself in the peat. And in this case, I'm not focusing on any of the rum characteristics. For me, it's that oakiness. It's the Mm. wood presence that Mm. really captures my attention first. And I'm not disagreeing with you. It is sweet. It is fruity. It is unctuous. But it's that oakiness that's a point of difference for me that I'm really investigating first, really captures my attention immediately. Well, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to live, I'm trying to live within its rumminess, right? W- within, within the distillate itself, because... You know, the first the first rum that we bottled was our 18-year-old Spanish rum. It's 49% mm. alcohol, if I remember correctly. And that rum was matured, for the most part, continentally. In other words, not, not where it was produced. So, you know, the, the producer was located in the Spanish Canary Islands, but the rum cask itself spent most of its time in the UK. And so you had this rum that was almost like a rum for whiskey drinkers and not necessarily a rum for rum drinkers. It was still a great product, but it wasn't a rum for rum drinkers. And so we bottled this because we fell in love with it. But what it's exhibiting is things we're simply not used to. It's rum for the sake of rum. It's... It's screaming, this is what tropic- tropically aged rum should be tasting like. And we're not used to bottling things that are so massively that.
1: Yeah, the rum category is so interesting to me. And and we, we got into this wonderful conversation with Mitch, uh, with um, the Black top. Black right? And, yep. And Mitch is talking us through the world of rum. We obviously had a singular focused episode with Richard Seal from Foursquare and obviously we spoke mm-hmm. with, with Stephen uh, from Beanley just recently. But it's such an interesting world and I'm, I'm not versed in it. Mm-hmm. And so as you articulate the rumminess I'm, I'm right there with you, I, I totally get what you're, what you're capturing there, but my, my question for myself is always, and where does that rumminess fit in with the larger world of rum? The, the same way, you know, and, I, and again, it's where we started today's episode, 25 years ago, I'm asking myself, this whiskiness, right? And how does this whiskiness fit in with this world of whiskey? And so th- there are times that I feel like an absolute noob around rum mm-hmm. and beyond statements like, I like it, or I like it a lot. I- I'm always searching for the-, the contextual relationship to other rums, to that okay. world of rum. Okay. Okay. So when when you'd said
0: you're focusing on the cask, you're focusing on what mm-hmm. the wood is doing. Mm-hmm. I got the impression that, you know, similar to how you used to talk about Japanese whiskies, where you'd say, you know, I really like it. I'm just having a difficult time wrapping my head oh. around where some of these flavors are coming from and why they're being mm-hmm. presented in the way in which they're being presented. And to me, that statement like that comes somewhat from a place of fear. Like I know I like it, but but I'm gonna stick with, I'm gonna stick over here because I know what the wood is doing. Like I get that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It yeah, it's is, familiarity. I wouldn't say fear. I would say familiarity. Familiarity. Okay. So all right. So let's let's get uncomfortable a little bit. Let's talk about what you're not paying attention to. Because I, I think your point was a good one, oh. right? When we're, when we're I, I drinking have, in our... I might
1: have misread that. I should put my pants back on. <laughs> okay, pants are pants are back on. I've misread where hey, Dana was going. No, 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 I, I, I didn't say that. Okay, pants are back off again. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. let's get uncomfortable. But, uh, you know,
0: I'm, I'm trying to get comfortably uncomfortable with this rum because... <laughs> I think I think I'm I'm a little less, I shouldn't say less interested. Well, I should say I'm I'm a bit less concerned about where the flavors are coming from. Though I feel I feel as if I should be concerned about that, right? I should know where those flavors are coming from. I'm less concerned on where the the flavors are coming from, and more concerned with how are they different from flavors you'd get. In a whiskey,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I, I'm on board with that wholeheartedly. That that to me is yeah. That that to me doesn't speak to discomfort because I think that's again that that's the familiarity, right? Is what do I know from this category whiskey, and what am I bringing to this category rum? And for me, it's the. <laughs> when we start talking about the funk or you start talking about the dunder and you start talking about distillation processes that I don't mm-hmm. fully understand either. Like there's, there's that to me is the the nervousness of stepping into a category beyond, do I like it? Would I buy it? Would I pour it? Would I share it? Do I want the nation to know about the Beanley distillery? Mm-hmm. Um our, our, our friend James Foster had reached out over text to say when he and his wife Martha had gone down there, they visited Beanley. They toured it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now here he is with the nation offering up a Beanley that he was able to buy in the U.S. and, and ship to his doorstep. So wow. he was, he, And he opened this and thoroughly enjoyed it. And so there's that Beanley story going full circle for the Fosters. I will say this. It's incredibly oily on the glass. Incredibly. Oh, incredibly. Yeah. Again, for
0: 65.1. Huge it's beads. Like, I, I, I understand you were getting a bit heat up, a bit of, you know, a bit of heat up front. For an afternoon may, dram or right. a lunchtime dram. And maybe I did the first sip, but now it's just, you know, it's just mm. liquid at this point. Mm-hmm. but what I love like again getting back to that fruit these are these are flavors that you would not get in whiskey and it's yeah. you know dried pineapple crushed crushed pineapple mango like pepper on papaya like cracked black pepper on papayas all these heavy earthy jammy fruits that I just i love finding like it's kind of like with mezcal there's certain things that you can only get in mezcal oh,
1: yeah
2: yeah
0: right and 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 it's so wonderful to discover those and figure out where that's coming from and i love finding it here in this in this rum
1: but i i think we've spoken about this previously where we're growing up in Scotland and the rum category was essentially malibu uh, which is a is a frightening, frightening beverage um, mixed with Oof. orange juice. Oof. And it's it's Oof. easy to think that all rums are sweet all the time. and I think it's done such a disservice to the category that there's a, there's a sweetness there, but it's built on the back of and alongside and on top of other, flavors and so just a second ago when you were talking about the the cracked pepper on pineapple mm-hmm. there's that tropical fruit sweetness but the pepper connects it back to the wood right and and i've got a, a ground gray pepper quality going on here i've got a bitter chocolate quality going on here the fact that you can have single-cask, tropically-aged rums that have such complexity and mm-hmm. do speak to maturation, that's the part that that I'm really fascinated by and that my palate goes in search of. And and as I was saying in our, in our, our lead-in to our own little impromptu date night here, is mm-hmm. as I was sitting with my wife watching TV there was a pour and a second pour and a third pour. And right now there's a sip and a second sip and a third sip mm-hmm. where I want to keep putting that that unctuous texture across my palate, then allow it to dry out to then put that unctuous texture and those yeah. sweeter yep. tropical flavors back over my palate again. That to me is the fun of a drink like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the things that captured my attention when we were speaking with um, with Steve Magary at Beanley was the fact that what we have here is some of that 2007 distillate, which has two different yeast types in there, so you're getting some heavier uh, components going on. But what he had pointed out, and, and the label will say as such, the new Blacktop Master Blenders Reserve that has a bit of beanly in there is from the same distillate, right? It's, it's from what they were doing back in 2007 mm-hmm. where they were playing with two different styles of yeast. Mm-hmm. And even though there was maybe 6 or 7% of Beanley in that Blacktop blend, Steve Magary said it, a, a ton of people who live... On, on the other side of the pond in the UK who have had it, say the Beanley's unmistakable. It just pops. It's so expressive and, and so attention-grabbing. And the fact that we were able to bottle a cask of this highly expressive rum mm-hmm. with the Single Cast Nation name on there, that it just, you know, there's a certain level of pride there. Um, that that they would oh. work with us
1: and, and and
0: let us bottle something,
1: especially yeah. one hundred percent, one hundred percent. What's interesting for me is one of the things that I really like about Black Tot, just just standard release Black Tot, is it takes on this burnt brown sugar, almost becoming licorous quality mm-hmm. to the back of the palate into the finish. Mm-hmm. And as you were sitting here talking, and I was just letting this my last sip, just kind of dry out there was that burnt brown sugar. There was that licorice component Mm -hmm. happening in the back of the palate. Oh, yeah. It's just so deliciously complex, drying, rewarding. And I take another sip.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I can't say enough good things about this bottle and... Sadly there's only a few remaining, but at least by the time we've dropped this episode there, there should still be some on the website. 150 yep. bucks a bottle. There you go. I, I'm glad I, I hey, I got two bottles for me and I'm very happy about that. Did you really? I've only got one. Do you really? I mean I only have one too.
1: <laughs> when I said two,
0: when I said two I meant I also I had one too.
1: Yeah. Oh, you meant also, I'm with you. I'm also, with you. Yeah. But so before the news segment gets <laughs> gets completely taken over by the Beanley, there there is a similar conversation to be had about a bottling we discussed in the last episode in the in the news segment, which is the water of life um, collaboration yes, with yep. what we're calling Wolf Island. Mm-hmm. And and my bottle of that finally came in and and that's a retail release these are these are purchases that you and i are making of our selections yep i can't stop pouring it and i had a friend come by the house over the weekend the weather was so delightful we actually sat out on the back deck and, and did some alfresco dramming which was magnificent magnificent oh, but nice. the one that we kicked off with was wolf island and up until that point I, i'd been doing with the wolf island what we just talked about doing with the beanley which was one poor would lead to a second poor would lead to a third mm-hmm. poor mm-hmm. and and when he came over over the weekend same thing like if if we hadn't had more bottles to pour as, as we all do. And anybody listening to this podcast knows exactly what we're talking about. You, you get through a few different pours and you go through a few different bottles. This would have been one. We would have just sat and poured all night and we'd have, we'd have taken care of the bottle. And, oh, and yeah. I, and I know that we've now got Elijah using this language as well, uh, which is pop the cork on a Friday, recycle the bottle on a Monday. <laughs> hashtag, Please drink the whole bottle responsibly. It's it's incredible how much of a drinker that Wolf Island is. Mm. And and again, you and I were saying that just before we hit record, you said something about that one peated cask in yes. concert with the five unpeated casks. Yep. Do you want to repeat that on wax? Well, the whiskey
0: itself is is so bright and inviting, and, and fresh, and almost refreshing. You know, mm-hmm. There's, there's, mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's something about, you know, mowing your lawn in the summer and having a Corona with lime that makes that the best thing in the world because it's so refreshing. This whiskey somehow has that refreshing quality to it. And if you just take a second now, all you need is a second to just pause and think about the fact that there is one peated cask in there. Because you wouldn't know it unless you really thought about it. But when you think about that, all of a sudden, the complexity of this whiskey jumps to 11. Because now the earthiness is revealed. And now it's not just fresh. It's not just refreshing and bright. Now there's a bit of earthiness. There's something to ground you to that moment, that little, little bit of heft in the background does so much that if you think about it, it makes the the overall drinking experience that much better. And if you don't think about it, well, that's okay. You're still having a great experience. Mm. But with that little nugget of knowledge, all of a sudden the drinking experience becomes that much more.
1: Yeah, your, your comment earlier was about the additional earthiness yeah and it just and it just felt like a plug right when you have the the earth and a plug and you're like it's the thing that grounds it it's the thing that connects it to the field Mm. to the barley Mm. Mm -hmm. to to the harvest uh magical absolutely magical so yeah yeah, Yeah. I, i think i think you and i are of a mind with this Wolf Island. And, and certainly uh, my mate who came over uh, during the weekend was of a mind as well. He's actually going to be spending the holiday season in Texas and was asking mm. if, he'd, if he'd be able to find it at Specs. And I said, uh, I don't know, it's not part of my remit, but he is going to be looking for bottles of this in Texas to enjoy over the festive period with family. We wish him the best of luck in sourcing that wherever he finds himself or wherever you find yourself, dear listener. Uh, Final couple of comments uh, in this news segment. US retail release number eight continues to go out state upon state. Feedback keeps coming back. Excellent selections. Very proud of us. On Rest of the World release number three... I know Jess is working her tail off. I know the orders are coming in across the UK for that to go into key stockists. Keep refreshing web pages as soon as we know we will share. Uh, I know it is going to start showing up in Sweden. I know it is going to start showing up in Germany and Israel. Jess continues to do her best with an incredibly difficult hand connected to Brexit and logistics and COVID and shipping. Deep breaths for everybody. Enjoy the whiskey when you see it.
0: Brexit. I've heard of that. Never
1: n- n- never heard of it. Brand new information. <laughs> COVID. What's that now? Nationwide <laughs> lockdowns in Europe? No, no thank you. Moving on. That's me for the news. Those were the few bits and bobs that I wanted to put in front of our listeners and I think spending time with a rum from down there has been incredibly rewarding as well.
0: Yeah, the only thing I'll say you know, to, to your mate here who's looking for the Wolf Island collaboration potentially in Texas, I think your point was a, a really good one, is that release number eight, retail release number eight, of which the Wolf Island collaborative bottling is a part of, is only just starting to hit store shelves. And and so just keep an eye out. You can always reach out to um, office at impexbev.com. and you know if you need to find a bottling near you or a shop that can ship to you, you know we'll you know they'll take care of that request. Um, it's exciting. Uh, I'm seeing more and more of these bottlings popping up all around, and and people are connecting with them people are digging the whiskies and the rum the the apprice rum uh, is really uh, turning eyeballs
1: turning heads <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I don't think are they turn back
1: eyeballs. into their head uh, and then very final comment here I know Greg and the team at the water of life film they are in love with this collaborative bottling as well that they were a part of you know and it and it if you're gonna put your name on it you better love it. And love they it. were yep. they were part of the process, and they love it as well. So they're championing it. Uh, Greg is talking about that on his podcast, uh, Big Man We Dram. Mm. And it's, it's just getting a ton of mileage, and that makes me incredibly happy, just like the movie's getting a ton of mileage, and that makes us all incredibly happy as well. Yep,
0: yep, yep. All good stuff. So... So listen, that, that's it for news. And you know, normally we would jump into emails here, but we are in the mode, as the kids say, of collecting emails for our annual mailbag episode, which happens in February. Now here we are, it's December 1, and we really would like,
1: Jason, when do, we, when do we want questions to come in by? January 30. Is our traditional date January has 31 days January 30 is our tradition Probably based on a former Friday We also crunched the numbers the other day And the mailbag episode will be February 9 of 2022 Uh, There you go, there you
0: go So, yes
1: But as you say, I have started printing out emails for the mailbag episode I'm going analog for that day's delivery.
0: Listen, um, the trees around the world want to thank you for printing on one of their dead compatriots.
1: 100% recycled paper in my printer. You're welcome. (laughs) I thought of it. Don't you worry. I'm
0: ahead. (laughs) So uh, go ahead and send us your, your emails for the mailbag episode. Again... This sorry. Oh, that's a Vinno Seal. That's a Vinno Seal coming off of a Wolf Island bottle. Sorry. Well done, Ignore you. me. Um, Ignore me.
1: I'm not here doing this.
0: Send us in a whiskey-related question, a personal question, anything that you would want to ask. We will we will see about answering it. Uh, you could reach out to us. Questions at OneNationUnderWhiskey.com. You could tweet at us at One Nation Whiskey. You could Instagram us at One Nation Under Whiskey, or you can find us uh, on Facebook. Just do a search for One Nation Under Whiskey. And of course,
1: Jason, is whiskey, do we ever spell whiskey with an E? Never. 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 Take all your E's, gather them up, take them to a club in the 90s, and the early 2000s, sell them to the 18 year olds.
0: Yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: So so spell the whiskey without the E. I have no idea what you just
1: said, but, you know, we'll just move on. And, uh, and E's that's... are good. E's are good. Is Ebenezer good? Clubbing Ebenezer anthem? Good? Late 90s? What? Early 2000s? Ecstasy, Joshua. We're talking about ecstasy. All the kids oh. and their ecstasies at their raves oh. and their acid parties.
0: Oh, you're talking about the drug ecstasy and E. Known
1: as E. Among the kids,
0: ah, uh, okay, so yeah, so do that. Listen to some Prodigy. <laughs> I don't know, right, uh, exactly.
1: Prodigy, right? What else, man. What, what
0: else do you do when you're when you're high on ecstasy? What what does one do when they're high on ecstasy, Jason?
1: Drink a lot of water because it will hide it will dehydrate you like nobody's business. Yep. So hydrate. Tell the people you're with how much you love them. Be tactile. Yep. Tactile is encouraged. Okay, as in touch people. Like, in, uh-huh. in today's like not climate, in a, Joshua, I, I, don't, yeah, yeah. I'm, I tell you, you're starting to make me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to put my pants back on. This is <laughs> yeah. You, you touch them, up. you rub their arm, or you you gently caress their face. Come on, man.
0: Okay, so do you do you have a
1: whistle? Do you need a whistle to take E? I think so. Like I actually for the longest time, believed that every E sold came with a whistle. Like a Happy Meal. McDonald's will be oh. fine with us connecting Happy Meals in ecstasy, right? This isn't going to be a problem. Should we put they're this in not, front of legal? Yeah, they're not litigious at all. No, I think we're safe yeah. here. Yeah, Maybe a few beeps in uh, what I just said <laughs> 30 seconds ago. Or it might end up on the cutting room floor, which would be perfectly fine too. Oh, Jason. It has been... A
0: treat, hanging with you, talking with you.
1: I think we have brought in December in in a fine manner. And now my eyeballs are on December 15, the dropping of our world single malt conversation for the year. My eyes
0: are on December 6th, which is, as we know, uh, the most important date in the Gregorian calendar.
1: Uh, it has taken on the importance of December 25th for some people. <laughs>
0: You're not wrong, at least for one person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sweet Scott?
0: Yeah, two people. There Yeah, you You're right. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to wish uh, Chris uh, Sweet Scott Hallstrom a very early birthday on December 6th.
1: Happy birthday. I'd like to wish and, you a and, birthday. <laughs> and I'm sure Chris Sweet Scott Hallstrom would like to wish you an early happy birthday for the same oh. date.
0: Oh, what a guy. But, and. Raj Saberwal, who has been on the podcast before, he's... He has. Listen, if you're living in America and you've enjoyed Amrut at any point in your life, or Five Lions, Five Lions, uh,
1: Waterford.
0: Waterford, you can, you can thank this gentleman, uh, this absolutely lovely person who also shares a December 6th birthday.
1: He is most definitely a mensch on the bench.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Jason... It has been really <laughs> real.
1: The realest of the real. To Enjoy serious. the rest of Hanukkah and your birthday yeah, as well. Yeah. And listeners, we will have another One Nation Under Whiskey December 15. Until then, I bid you adieu. I bid you adjoint. <laughs>